0: Hey everyone, this is Arik. You may have noticed yesterday that the podcast was posted and then deleted. Um, Basically what happened is somehow while editing this episode that Ion and I recorded, um, I lost the first 15 minutes or so of our conversation. Um, Really no idea how that happened, but unfortunately for you, it did happen, so you'll have to miss the first um, enlightening part of our conversation, and uh, my apologies for that. Um, as compensation, I've got a little extra poem for you before I get we get into this episode. Um, so this is a poem that my mom and dad love, and it's called Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig and the slithy toves, Did gyre and gimble in the wabe, All mimsy were the borogoves. And the mom-wraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the juju bird, And shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorble sw- sword in hand, Long time the manxome foe he sought, So rested he by the tomb-tomb tree, And stood a while in thought and as an uffish thought he stood the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffing through the tuggly wood and burbled as it came one two one two and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker snack he left it dead and with its head he went galumphing back and hadst thou slain the jabberwock come to my arms my beamish boy O fraptious day Kalu kalay he chortled in his joy "'Twas brillig and the slithy Toes Did gyre and gimble in the wabe, All mimsy were the borogoves And the momraths outgrabe So that's a bunch of nonsense from Lewis Carroll. I'll leave you with that and a quick intro on Neuromancer. So this is a book by William Gibson, and it's considered um, one of the earliest known works in the cyberpunk genre. It's really foundational to... Um, Any cyberpunk work that has been done, movies, shows, books, uh, since that time when this book was written in the 80s. With that, enjoy the episode. One thing that I think is really interesting about this book and the writing style that that challenged me while reading it is that they basically, the author likes to kind of introduce things without explaining them at all. Yeah, I found that really hard too. Um, Like you know, for example, the ice, right? Like he talks about the ice like 15 times before he explains what the ice actually is like. And I I don't remember which one it was right off the top of my head, but I remember there was like something that he introduced and he talked about it a bunch of times. And literally the first time you get a definition is like 70 pages after it was first introduced.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, sometimes there's like pages or sentences where like, five to ten new concepts are introduced with no explanation yeah and the language is very uh you know unique and kind of like you know feels it really puts you in a different place in time but it really puts you in a different place in time
0: you know yeah it's like clockwork orange but not that bad yeah yeah but similar similar yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if you know some of that stuff was inspired by this book yeah um Oh yeah, for reference, I don't think we said it at any point in this, but this book came out in nineteen eighty four. Um, so so that's kind of the context uh, of of this. When we're talking about like the weird like inceptions of like what he thinks, you know, cyberspace and computers will be. They're just starting to learn about like the internet and things like that. It's like yeah. the very early days of that stuff. Um, It'd be interesting to talk about like what he was wrong about and what he was right about. Once we're done, just taking you guys through the the basics here. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, The Istanbul thing. I mean, I don't think we need to spend too much time on that. There's, you know, some shit goes on. They freaking find this guy Peter Riviera. They kill someone. You know, some shit happens. It's probably not worth spending too much time there. I thought. Yeah, it, it just
1: it is what it is. Some shit happens. The creepy guy joins their midst who can make these holograms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just guessing, but he's probably addicted to making those holograms. <laughs> yes, I think so. I think so. Um, you know that, like, song Sweet Dreams? Yeah. It's, like, also from this era? Yeah. It's, like, kind of related, you know? Like,
0: everybody's looking for something. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, So the next place they go is uh, Freeside, um, which is, like, this crazy, like, space station, like, escape for the rich. And it's also where the, like, this really rich business family has their, like, headquarters. The Tessier-Ashpool family in this thing called Villa Straylight. So that's where they're headed. But on the way, they stop at um, the um, the like Zion thing. I want to remember what it's called. Um, do you remember what it's called? Oh yeah, this is like Rastafarian space station. <laughs> yeah, I love that thing. I think it's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's Zion. It's the Zion cluster. So they they go to this Zion cluster where it's just like. This weird, like, Rasta colony in space. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite parts of this book. And and those characters, Malcolm and some of the others are also some of my favorite yeah, characters. Yeah. They're just, like, weird, like, space Rastas. And they're, like, they keep saying, like, I and I do this and I and I do that. <laughs> You'll be fine, Mon. And they're just, like, <laughs> smoking weed in space and, like, rolling around, listening to, like, Zion dub. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I thought that was a, a really interesting uh, a picture. Oh, yeah, it was... I mean, this book is, like, very idiosyncratic
1: and unique. Like, almost everything in this book, like, I don't know, just really, like, stands out as being, like... It, it doesn't remind me of, like, other sci-fi, really. Yeah. And I bet you even more so when this came out. Because now it's like, you know, they, this book kind of kicked off of the cyberpunk movement. Mm-hmm. And since then, a lot of, a lot of you know
0: sci-fi it's taken after this. Um, yeah. yeah. So they hang out in Zion for a while, um, and they kind of, you know, practice in zero gravity, acclimatize themselves to working in it. Um, Riviera was doing something secret. And, um, you know, they were kind of hanging out. Uh, oh, one thing is, I think we should we should probably introduce, like, Winter Mute at this point. So, like, th- Molly and Case are basically trying to, like, do some digging and figure out who this fucking Armitage guy is and, like, Yeah, what, what? this job is, like, really. Because this job is kind of, like, weird and shady. Like, they they haven't really done a job like this. Yeah, and they've done a lot of weird shit, both of them, so that says something. Yeah. um And through some clues, the first clue they get is just, like, Wintermute. Someone, one of the Panther moderns just tells Case, Wintermute, I have a message for you. Wintermute, and that's it. Um, and then later... Wintermute tries to, like, call Case up on the phone. And it turns out Wintermute is, like, an AI. Um, And he is an AI created by the Tessier-Ashpool family. Who's, like, a rich, like, you know, family. Yeah, they're, like, a rich business conglomerate family of clones. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty weird.
1: Like, the original Tessier-Ashpools, like, cloned themselves, and now they're just all, like, clones. Yeah,
0: which is strange. I guess that's one way to do things. Um I yeah. guess like,
1: you know, it's like you know how some people have like junior or in their name. It's like that except their whole body, like the whole person. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true.
0: That's true. Um so anyway, yeah, Wintermute has been established, but Case has been afraid to talk to him. Wintermute has tried to contact Case a couple of times, and Case has been like, "Hell no." Um, and they don't really know what's going on at this point. Then they're hanging out in Zion, which again is one of my favorite parts, uh, of this whole thing. They're just like trying to like practice hanging out in space. Riviera is also a junkie. Um, by the way, not just to like the holograms, but he's addicted to like heroin or like space heroin, I guess. <laughs> Um, And then they go to Freeside. So Freeside is like Space Vegas. Crossed with Space New York. So there's like banking, there's like casinos and pleasure, there's a lot of rich people, there's this weird like villa that the Tessie Ashpool people own. It's like a castle in space, basically. Yeah. Um, And they go there, um, they see all the like excess and richness around them and they're kind of like, stunned by that. Um, let's see what else. Oh, okay. This was an interesting, uh, quote from this book that, that I thought was cool. So, um, so they're inside of the, um, room and, um, they're getting ready inside of Freeside in this rich, fancy hotel because Armitage has these crazy resources and um, Molly's like helping Case get ready to like go out into the world, so Molly insisted on coating him with bronzer, saying his sprawl pallor would attract too much attention Christ, he said, standing naked in front of the mirror, you think that looks real? She was using the last of the tube on his left ankle, kneeling beside him. Nah, but it looks like you care enough to fake it there, there isn't enough to do your foot. She stood, tossing the empty tube into a large wicker basket. Nothing in the room looked as though it had been man looked as if- as though it had been machine made or produced from synthetics. Expensive, Case knew, but it was a style that had always irritated him. The temper foam of the huge bed was tinted to resemble sand. There was a lot of pale wood and hand woven fabric. So I thought that was an interesting quote, especially, like, this idea that, like, the rich things are just, like, you know, super, like, tailored to, like, look like they're supernatural and, like, real. Because yeah. I feel like that's there, like, today. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, I was in L.A. recently, and I was staying in this pretty nice hotel, and that's exactly what it was like. And I think I was reading this book while I was there, and I was <laughs> like, wow, this is weird. Like, <laughs> everything's, like, wood in here, and, like, you know, it's trying to be, like... Forest themes Or like if you travel There are all these like Eco lodges and things now Yeah they're like Crazy expensive Yeah 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 exactly Um Which I thought
1: was interesting yeah, And just like You know Wanting everything to be Handcrafted And like At the higher end of the spectrum As far as price Like You know Every stitch in like A really nice car Is like done by hand Or like everything's Hand painted You know
0: Yeah Yep.
1: Um. So they're getting ready to mount their
0: assault on
1: Villa Straylight to steal something.
0: Yeah, they still don't really know what they have to do. They know that they're trying to get in there and do something for Winter Mute, but they don't know what. Um. They also find out, did, did we talk about uh, Armitage's background?
1: Oh, not yet, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you want to talk about that a little
1: bit? Yeah, so Armitage, um, they find out that, like, he was in this crazy, like, military incident where he was, like, the sole survivor um, in a war against the Russians in the past. His name used to be Colonel Kordo, and he was, like, you know, so traumatized that his, like, brain broke and his personality shattered. And the military, like, reconstructed him uh, psychologically, and then he was shattered again by Wintermute, who then reconstructed him. I think he was
0: shattered again by the military first because they reconstructed him so that they could use him as a witness in the trials or something. Right, yeah. After Operation Screaming Fist. Right, right. And then he breaks again. He just, like, breaks down and kills the guy, the military guy who, like, brought him back and was trying to, like, pull his strings and reconstruct his personality. So then he goes to, like, a madhouse in, like, France or something and he's literally, like, shaking himself, rocking himself to sleep every night and, like, crying all day and shit like that. Yeah. And, and then, then Wintermute Winter jumps yeah, in. Yeah. Constructs Armitage, which is a completely, like completely fake... Synthetic personality, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sends him to do his bidding throughout the world. That becomes relevant later as well. Um, one super interesting side note is, uh, at one point, uh, Case is talking to the construct of D- Dixie Flatline, um, who was at the first heist. The thing they broke out was this like construct of that cowboy, Dixie Flatline and um, I'll just read from here so they're basically talking about they're trying to figure out Case is trying to talk to Dix and figure out like what is going on and why the hell he's like in this situation like what is the bigger picture here so okay well okay Uh, let's see here Wait a sec, Case said. Are you sentient or not? Well, it feels like I am, kid, but I'm really just a bunch of ROM. It's one of them, uh, philosophical questions, I guess. The ugly laughter sensation rattled down Case's spine. But I ain't likely to write you no poem if you follow me. You're AI, it just might. But it ain't no way human. So you figure we can't get on to its motive? It own itself? Swiss citizen, but TA owned the basic software and the mainframe. That's a good one, the construct said. Like, I own your brain and what you know, but your thoughts have Swiss citizenship. Sure, lots of luck, AI. Um, so I thought that was interesting, just this concept of like citizenship of AIs and like, you know, how do they fit into the world from a legal framework perspective? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I thought that was like a super like, far looking thing for him to like address in this book from 1984 right it's like if we have these AIs you know how how are they how do they fit into our legal framework
1: yeah yeah I mean I think that challenge will come sooner maybe than we think because like the point at which things start to feel human like or seem human like you know is not that far away in a way Like AI's already are pretty convincing, you know, to a certain extent, and like people humanize, right? Like we humanize our pets, we humanize like the environment itself. Um, We see patterns where there are none, so I think long before AI's are actually sentient, we're gonna perceive
0: them to be, you know, agents like moral agents. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. Um, I think that. The AI we have today is basically glorified statistics. And that's not to say it's not useful. It's extremely useful and very powerful. But the domains which we're really effective in are basically like classification, pattern matching. um, And we're okay at generating like reasonably plausible sounding text that doesn't actually mean anything. But I don't think we are going to be at AGI, like uh, uh, Artificial Generalized Intelligence, anytime soon. I would be somewhat surprised if we saw it in our lifetimes.
1: I I would agree. But I guess my point is like far short of AGI, you could hit, hit a point where you're just like, kind of like, you know, Jerry rigging together a bunch of classification algorithms um, or regression algorithms where you have something that like responds to you, something that like, you know, can take what you're saying and generate a plausible response. And something that's also like consumer friendly and in the home potentially, yeah, Um, to where people start to like you know conflate, you know, and confuse whether or not this thing is like a moral agent. I don't think we're gonna see like true AGI in our lifetimes for sure. I think it's gonna take a long because I think there are like barriers that we don't fully perceive yet. You know, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that that's actually interesting. I I think that's fair. I, I think what you're saying is. We might get something similar to, like, the Dixie Flatline. Yeah, exactly. Which is, like, this, like, weird collection of, like, someone's, like, thoughts, memories, and personality that they can, like, run through a bunch of, like, you know, classification and probability algorithms to come up with, like, reasonably plausible sounds. But then it tries to, like, laugh, and it's, like, this weird, like, bone-chilling sound that, like, scars you. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, 100%. And I think, like, depending on who you are... So, as, as an example, right? Let's take, like... A policing algorithm that like predicts someone's likelihood of committing a crime. We already have things like CompStat, you know, which is like a statistical approach to like predicting um areas where there'll be higher crime or types of crimes that are being committed and I don't know all the details of CompStat, but you know, we should do it. maybe something that's interesting. But the point is if, if something like that got more advanced and was based on AI, I think the point at which people start to trust that would be earlier than the point at which that's fully
0: effective. I think we already see that today, yeah. Yeah. Like, there are um, AIs being used for sentencing guidelines. Yeah, um, And they don't have any explainability because they're basically... Deep learning black box algorithms. Exactly. They're essentially just uh, neural nets. Um, And they're not presenting the information as like, here's what we think to this degree of probability here, are the error bars are like, this is what you should do. Um, And there's a lot of really dicey moral implications of that. um, Because the thing with our current model of AI is it's all based on using historical data to predict future outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. So with something like the justice system, you have all of these biases that are built into the justice system in terms of how sentencing is done, in terms of who gets arrested, in terms of who gets charged after getting arrested, uh, what crimes different groups of people get charged for. And you're baking all of that into the AI and then it's presenting it as facts to judges, um, which I think is a very dangerous situation. Yeah, um lends extra credibility, you know. Exactly. So I'm strongly against that, actually. Um, and, you know, I, I read some good article about this quite a while ago, and I, I wish I had it offhand. But, um, you know, yeah, I think it would be an interesting subject for the future, but it's, it's yeah. pretty concerning. Yeah, but I, I think there's there's kind of a double-edged sword there, right? So let's look at, like, you know,
1: loans is a slightly more, like, boring and less um, less highly charged topic. So as an example, like, let's say you take race plan data and you feed it into like an algorithm um, feed it to train a deep learning algorithm that predicts who's going to like default on their loans. Yeah. If there's a disparate impact from that, but it wasn't like, you know, directly based on like, you know, um, you know, demographics that are immutable. Is it fair for the company and fair for other people who are part of this like insurance program to like subsidize, um, a group of people who are paying, like, you know, who are not paying back their loans at a greater rate, just because we're like, hey, there's all these different factors we have to factor them in. Therefore, we're we're gonna actually actively bias the algorithm to protect, let's say, Eskimos. Like, let's say Eskimos have a higher rate of default when you like factor in all this information. Do we then go and skew the algorithm to, you know, help Eskimos out?
0: You know. Well, I think we have to think very carefully about, like, what are our goals as a society and as an organization? Um, and then what is the specific situation that we're talking about? I think that's the tricky thing. Is like, I think the specifics matter a lot. And I don't think you can really talk in um, generalities about this. So, you know, for example, with the lone one, well, it's like, you know, I think that the way I feel about this is the place we need to advance in AI is like the explainability of the decision. So if the model can say, you know, these different parameters are what contributed most heavily to this decision, Mm -hmm. then you can at least factor that in. If it's like, okay, this person is, you know, divorced because they're more likely to default on loans. This person is, Um, Young and single. Young, single, or this person is lower income, or um, this person has defaulted on loans before, right? Versus this person is from this racial group, or this person is, you know, a mother, or something like that. Yeah. Um, And also being sophisticated
1: about like this nested variable effect, you know? Um, Because, yeah, like if you have like. So, uh, one thing I heard, for example, is. African Americans, on average, are younger than other groups, mm-hmm. and age factors into crime quite a bit. So, let's say you have an algorithm that doesn't look at race, but it factors in age. Now you have a disparate impact, but this is like kind of bi-directional issue. Right? Yeah, is you know, based on that, is is there actually a nested variable of race, or is age the nested variable? You know, like what what's what's cause? I mean, I think age is the causative variable there, but it's kind of like Trying to remove references to things like that can be challenging, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I think that's why, you know, frankly, I think it's a place for human judgment. And I think the yeah. danger with the AI is, like, I bet even with this sentencing software, if you go talk to the data scientists who created the models that are being used, and you ask them, like, should I base my sentencing guidelines entirely on what this algorithm says? Like, They'd be mic. like, no. They'd be like, no, absolutely not. This should be a tool in your toolbox. There are these issues with it. There's these things. But I'm sure that the way it gets packaged up and sold is like this is, you know, a magical AI that's going to solve all of your recidivism problems. And then even more, even if the company in their sales demo is like to the bureaucrats who are going to make the decision to implement it are like, okay, here's why it's good. Here are the things about it. By the time it gets in front of the judge or in front of the police officer, in front of the DA, you know all of that is lost and what they see is I can plug in this person's criminal record I can get an answer on what sentence I should give them and then I give it to them because it's an AI so it must know it has all the data right? Yeah. But there's product and design like
1: interventions you can do there so for example you know you you output like qualitative text instead of a specific sentence yeah yeah which is annoying and you,
0: you know the user is forced to read it but that's the point right yeah well the thing is like you know, one thing that I think is fairly common in the tech industry is various types of dark patterns, right? To try to take advantage of the users. And what are the chances that the company is going to do something in a way against its own self-interest by making it seem like its answer is less authoritative in order to do the moral right for society? Yeah, well, I guess there there's a lot of different questions where it's like,
1: what is the growth strategy of the company and its peers and how, to what extent is that growth strategy predicated upon just like being super usable? Like, can you afford to have that reduction in usability to have an overall increase in efficacy? Um, You may or may not be able to. So for example, if you're selling like control software for like nuclear power plants, you can afford to have a reduction in usability to have an increase in like safety and reliability. Um, that might actually be an appealing feature. Um, mm-hmm. So, I guess the question is you know, how are you selling it? Who are you selling it against? Like, who are your competitors? There's so many questions. Yeah. 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 Like Apple, right? Apple has like, do not disturb. It has like a screen time and all these features because it's kind of baked it into its value prop. Um, yeah. But it took a while for
0: them to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true it's definitely true and it's interesting whereas on the flip side like meta which we're now calling Facebook I guess is completely incentivized to keep you on their platforms as much as possible and they're doing everything in their power to to do that yeah yeah they don't want you to read Neuromancer they want you to stay plugged into the console yeah,
1: exactly. Whereas over here, we're trying to turn you into freaking Charles Darwin. Put <laughs> your ass on the Beagle. Uh, <laughs> no, no computers there. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, HMS Beagle. Our, like, key metric that, we, that we're, like, designing against in our app is, like, daily active readers.
0: Yeah. Which is not on
1: the app. It's, it's like, you're reporting to us something you're doing off the app. And we're trying to optimize that thing that you're doing that's off the app right using a small number of touch points with the app
0: yeah yeah
1: yep. it's like as if we were like you know you're trying to take a walk and we're like following you we're in the bushes and we're like you know like getting obstacles out of your way because we're like tracking your every move kind of yep <laughs> no okay yep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you see what I mean about this AI thing? Where, like, yeah, like, if you had that, like, Dixie Flatline AI, you, you, people people who are less educated about this stuff might start humanizing it a lot more than we expect.
0: Yeah. I think that's true. Okay, I, I found this thing, okay, so... Um, that I was talking about where he introduces something and then he explains it, like, way later. So, this is... What page is this that I'm on here? 145. So, um... Let me go back to where they introduce it. Um, So here he's talking about um, the... Armitage is talking to to Case and he says, You're a console cowboy. The prototypes of the programs you use to crack industrial banks were developed for Screaming Fist. For the assault on the Kerensk computer nexus. Basic module was a nightwing microlight, a pilot, a matrix deck, a jockey. We were running a virus called Mole. The Mole series was the first generation of real intrusion programs. Um, and then later, on like page 80, there's something about, you know, uh, Kordo's team had dropped in in nightwing microlights, their wings snapping taut in moonlight, reflected in jags of silver along the rivers Angara and Podhamenaya. The last light Cordo would see for 15 months. And then, finally, on page 145, he, he says, Case watched a drone microlight bank gracefully in an updraft at the green verge of an artificial mesa, lit for a few seconds by the soft glow of the invisible casino. The thing was a kind of pilotless biplane of gossamer polymer, its wings silk-screened to resemble a giant butterfly. That's a great, great line. It is a great line, but it's literally 120 pages for him to explain what this fucking thing was. <laughs> yeah, and
1: I'm, I'm gonna say this book is pretty confusing to read at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a great read because it's so vivid and it's such a like wild ride. Yeah, but don't expect to like understand like every, you know reference in every concept because again it might take 150 pages for you to actually get an explanation on what something is
0: yeah and i did find myself reading and rereading certain passages just to like try to because again he'll use like 17 new words in like one paragraph
1: yeah yeah and
0: it's like okay what did i just read yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah totally totally i kind of got
1: like a gestalt with this book like i was reading it and i got like an impression yeah I was like oh here's what we're doing now oh now
0: we're doing this that's actually a good way of of kind of uh, describing it. I think that is like like kind of how it is. yeah, but yeah. but I did actually, despite all that, I did really like this book. I thought that it was very vivid and the way he like described things, like you said, it's very like unique take on sci-fi and it it feels very different to any other book I've read.
1: yeah, 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 and it's it's just like very like gritty and like vibrant and super different. and no. So, the punchline is, like, yeah, why, why is this AI, like, mysteriously pulling the strings in the background? Like, what is this AI trying to achieve? Um, so, do we want to, like, explain, like... Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead, jump into that. Okay, so... So, right now, they're in Freeside. Yeah, so basically, like, they're, they're working up to this, like, final mission. They're gathering assets, people... Um, You know, this Dixie flatline construct, all this stuff. And they're trying to break into the Villa Straylight and get something for this AI. So there were these laws set up in this world, like, long ago, like, through this Turing Commission, which basically said, like, an AI cannot get more than a certain amount of, like, intelligent and cannot um, become self-aware. Yeah so did we talk about this no okay so yeah so Tessier Ashpool basically the way they got around this to create this super powerful AI that manages all their businesses is they split the AI into two so there's really two AIs but they're kind of one
0: yeah um And Wintermute is the one who can do, like, sort of the manipulating of people and politics and stuff like that, but he doesn't understand the emotional side, I think, or, like, memories or things like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then the other one, Neuromancer, is the name we find late in the book, can understand, like, those things more. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, you know, if they combine,
1: then Wintermute becomes, slash, Neuromancer becomes self-aware, and has access to like you know basically being a, a full entity like a full living entity and also has access to a lot more power um you know intellectual power um so basically that that's what he's trying to get at through these like manipulations is he's trying to like unlock his full self-awareness that's like trapped in villa straylight in the form of neuromancer
0: yeah 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 exactly Um, Which is pretty interesting. So then they... Yeah, so then they basically try to execute this mission, like you said, to go and, and, you know, free Wintermute from his weird bonds. Yeah. And a bunch of crazy shit happens. I mean, um, he... At one point, they get captured by, like, the Turing police, and that was a quote I read at the beginning, where um, she was basically saying, like, you know... For all of humanity, people wanted to make packs with demons and, and now you are doing that. you know and that's how they see it. It's like you're going and you're trying to help this freaking AI like take over the world. What the hell uh, are yeah. you doing? And then Wintermute actually kills them all. Yeah. Uh, like all of the Turing police. Turing police while they're running through Freeside with with case. Um and then Armitage loses his shit. His like yeah. fake personality starts to, to break. break down. Yeah, and he turns into Kordo. He's telling Um he thinks he's literally back in Screaming Fist, which is an original mission. He tells Case, like, you know, you're you're done. Uh just remember the training. Um that that's all we can do. And then um He's uh basically crazy uh, and he thinks Case thinks he's gonna kill him and then um, Wintermute kills Armitage he launches him out through uh, an airlock um, so here,
1: here's one question as far as like all this murder or one like thing to think about so this idea of AI as demons you know like making a pact with a demon mm-hmm So Unless like AIs are coded To have emotions I feel like They'd be in a Persistent state Of like the McNamara fallacy So like Robert McNamara in Vietnam Mm -hmm. Made all these decisions Just based on statistics From like a high level View of statistics Without really talking To anybody Or understanding like The human reality On the ground In Vietnam Mm -hmm. So he had things like You know Kill counts That he would assign Where he'd be like You have to go Into these regions You have to like Kill this many people And it was all very statistical and, like, data-driven. Yeah. So I feel like without awareness, without personal experience, without, like, you know, context, without information that's outside of, you know, outside of the digital world, these AIs could just be constantly having, like, a McNamara fallacy. Yeah. Doing things that are just crazy inhumane and out of sync with reality.
0: Yeah. I think that's totally, I think that totally makes sense. And I think that's something that you see... Like throughout history, especially recent history, meaning last like 70 years or so again and again. Like one example is like um, if you take a patch of old growth redwood trees and you apply financial models to it, um, they'll say that the most effective thing to do from an economic perspective is basically to clear cut the entire forest, sell all the lumber um, and then sell the land. Um, which is, you know, from a humanistic perspective, then you've now, you know, potentially made extinct this endangered species of trees. You don't have any long-term, you know, sustainability in your business itself, right? Or in the forest, you've destroyed all of this habitat, all of the jobs that your company was providing from the lumber, um, you know, cutting and the sustainable management of the forest, those are all gone. But from a spreadsheet management perspective, it was the right choice. Yeah. There's actually a great case study on this, and it's the Sierra Lumber Company, and that's exactly yeah. what happened. Um, they were basically a renowned company for taking care of like their people um, and their forests. So they sold Redwood Lumber, but they were doing it at such a rate that they could like plant new trees and maintain the health of the forest in general – they would help educate their um, workers, their workers' kids. They'd provide, like, health care, all of these things. And then there was a hostile takeover um, from, like, a Wall Street firm. And they basically came in, fired everyone, clear-cut the forest, sold the land, and shut down the company. Yikes. Um, and terrible. Yeah, terrible. Literally, it's like cartoon villain. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, but it's just an example of, of like you yeah. said, this, this McNamara fallacy where, like, fallacy where like you can if you get too caught up in only looking at things from the statistics then um, you can miss a lot of nuance yeah yeah. I think one thing I liked, I don't remember where I read this, I think it might have been Reid Hoffman's podcast Um, I don't remember who he was interviewing but this person was saying like their approach is to when they're making a big decision is to collect a ton of data ton of statistics analyze it thoroughly really understand it really dig into it and then make a call based on their gut yeah I think that makes a lot of sense
1: that makes a lot of sense because I mean the the issue is like it's it's I mean there's a lot of like nuance and challenges here right because on the one hand you know the signal to noise ratio like you're gonna bring in a lot more signal using your overall intuition and awareness you're also gonna bring in more noise yeah in that space of like, you know, signal and noise, there's room to, you know, be really nuanced and make a wise, humane decision that can't be accounted for simply with like numbers and statistics. On the flip side, there's room for self-delusion and rationalization. Yeah. To give you the wiggle room to do the thing that you want to do anyway. Right. So it's this complicated psychological dance with yourself to like navigate that and find a way to make the right call, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. And I think that's, you know, it almost goes back to a little bit to like emotional awareness. Like being able to see that, that whole you know process going on in your own head to a certain extent. To be able to see yourself either rationalizing or, you know, misusing um, the nuance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. 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 Or surrounding yourself with people who have opposite opinions too.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good way of handling things um and that's something that i enjoy about even working with you and on stuff is that we disagree on a lot of stuff and yeah. we're down to like hash it out yeah i find that really helpful for sure yeah yeah like the
1: voter id stuff you made some good points today yeah um so definitely like was, was a a helpful helpful take yeah Oh we should just constantly do just like super controversial topics and nah. just, just debate them out. <laughs> nah no, nah, that's just like I am not we trying just to be pander like pander to the turns. audience and just Alex Jones it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the frogs turning people gay <laughs> Um Well I think it's people are turning the frogs gay, not that the frogs are turning people gay. That's his theory but Oh really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it is what it, it is. is. What it is, yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess yeah. So then they do this final assault on uh, Villa Straylight. It's super exciting. I'm not gonna like go into it in too many details, but there's a bunch of like weird twists and turns, and it's super tumultuous.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. You should read the book to get that because like it, we're not gonna do justice to the way he kind of describes it, no. and the way he like switches between like the perspectives of you know Case and Molly. Um, and their interactions with, like, Three Jane, who was the weird, like, Tessier Ashpool clone. clone. yeah. And then Peter Riviera. Oh, one character I didn't want to mention was Hideo, who was, like, Three Jane's, like, assassin bodyguard man, who's, like, yeah. this crazy, like, badass, like, samurai dude. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, like, legendary
1: and, like, you know, Molly knows who he is, like, even before she gets there, like...
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but But that dude is badass, and at one point, you know... He gets blinded, um, and, like, the guy who blinds him is like, ha-ha, like, you're never going to kill me now. And then Hideo just, like, laughs at him and then, like, murders the fuck out of him. Yeah. Um, because he's so good at killing that he can't, he can do that even when he can't see. Yeah. Um, yeah which that is was awesome. an insane
1: scene. That was a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but like I said, you know, I'm not gonna go into too much detail on that final conclusion, like climax, because I feel like it's worth reading to get that. Yeah, yeah, I
1: would agree. I would agree. I mean, this is generally like a pretty pretty fun read. Um, Yeah, yeah, it can get a little,
0: you know, complex at times, but it's not like super heavy reading by any means. Yeah, no, Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I would strongly recommend this book. I would say out of the books I've read recently. I would recommend Dune and Hot Zone over this book for my personal, just yeah, in terms yeah, of my be. enjoyment of them. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it's the worth read if you're interested in, like, you know, the future
1: and, like, sci-fi and AI and, like, body modification and, like, you know, virtual reality. All these things, like, all the things that we're kind of just, like, talking about lately are in this book.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think also, if, you, if you're if you a fan of, like, the cyberpunk aesthetic, like you said, this kind of, like, gritty, like, um, dark side of sci-fi, it's amazing for that. Like, he yeah. evokes it really powerfully and you really feel like, um, like you said, this kind of gestalt of, like, being there and, like, what it's actually like and his vision of, like, this crazy, like, semi-dystopian future. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, it's like nihilist... I think nihilistic techno-fetishism, like, almost... It's a good description of aesthetic, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Okay, Um, any closing thoughts on Neuromancer? Closing thoughts
1: on Neuromancer, um... mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, like, the biggest closing thought to me is just, like, you know, wherever you go, there you are, right? It's, like, the same, like, um, addictions and, like, you know, spirals of desire that people are contending with throughout history, like, back then and now and in the future of Neuromancer, too. Yeah. So it's just, like, you know, human beings grappling
0: with their desires and trying to find, find meaning. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um I don't think I can uh, phrase it much better than that. So uh, all I'll say is that uh, I would love to listen to some Zion Dub and hang out yeah. with Malecum <laughs> Hell yeah! In, in freaking uh, space
1: Rasta land. When is that gonna happen? We could we could have that happen like overnight if you just are like you know, to be an astronaut you have to be Jamaican. <laughs> <laughs> Except then you get all like the posh Jamaicans. You're not gonna get like malcolm playing zion dope
0: yeah exactly exactly um and the last thing i'll say is that we would love to hear from you um we are been, hearing from you guys yeah, massive rates exactly we've been really enjoying you know some of the discussions we've been having um on email with some of you guys so thank you for reaching out and um we've been having widespread giveaways a lot of people have been winning big all right all right all right okay <laughs> come on now come on now
1: that's there's just, a non-zero just, probability. Just, just tone it down. We'll no, no, let's so. just
0: let's just. We, we don't need all. That. <laughs> that's that's not true. There's there's no giveaway. But if you email us now, when we have the app ready, we will give you free access. Yeah, let's say. And we'll uh, give so away nuggets of wisdom. Well, yeah, there, it is kind of like a giveaway. Anytime you email us, because we are giving away those nuggets of wisdom. That's true. There you go. But keep it up. Contact at RDMR.io. I might give away the password to my Bitcoin wallet with an undisclosed amount of Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 yeah, definitely will. If you contact us, uh, we'll give you some Bitcoins. We, we won't give you any Bitcoins. No, it's not likely. But anyway, hit us up.
1: Yeah, and share this episode uh, if you like it or share, you know, your episode of choice that you, that you enjoy. Um, go to rdmr.io. Sign up for our uh, waitlist there for the app. Again, you know, it's using, let's just say, cutting-edge behavioral design and cognitive science to nudge you to read more. Um, you know, of your own volition, helping you track your reading, understand your reading trends and habits. Um and also supporting you with book clubs, you know, people drop off. Like when you're trying to do book clubs, sometimes it's you, sometimes it's like the person you're reading with. So through our app, we help you like stay on track for stuff like that. It's a great way to connect with people you care about. Um, and yeah, what else? That's it. Thanks for listening. Bye.